I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard, and if you're here uh, visiting because there's a little baby up front, we're just so glad you're here. Uh, if you're here just for the first time because you just stumbled in, we're really glad you're here. And if you've been here a million times, we're also glad you're here. Uh, before I get into it, I'd also like to say that um, it's really good to be back in the house. I've been gone for two weeks, uh, been out with my wife, and we went and did a, a wedding up in Rochester, Minnesota, and that was terrific. In the last two weeks, I've driven or been in the car for 4,500 miles of driving. Been all the way from Rochester, Minnesota to Miami, Florida and back. Um, Glenn has more miles than that on me. Glenn, you have, you have like 7,200 miles on your belt on the last two weeks. That's crazy. Um, but last week, we were able to travel with the band and uh, minister in Florida. We did a conference in central Florida. And uh, one of the coolest things in my life, uh, it was at a really small conference, but we got to hang out with some of the with uh, some of the fathers and mothers of uh, modern worship, in, especially in the Vineyard movement. But not just within the Vineyard, but within modern worship. Uh, we got to hang out with John and Marie Barnett. Uh, John Barnett he wrote uh, he wrote that worship song, uh, "Holy and Anointed One." You know, your name is like honey on my lips. Y'all know that one. And uh, and his wife Marie she wrote uh, she wrote "Breathe." This is the air I breathe. Like two of the biggest worship songs in the last thirty years were written by those two people. And uh, so we were able to hang out with them. And in the process of hanging out, I said, John, you know, I'm not leaving and neither is the band until you put hands on us and pray for us and give us a blessing. And he's like, what? He's kind of a cowboy. He's like, what? what? You know, it's weird, you know? Total cowboy. And, but I, was just, I just told him, I'm like, hey, I just feel like you're, you're Abraham and your wife is Sarah and you guys have pioneered something and we're your sons and daughters and you don't even know it. And we want the blessing, you know? And they brought us up front and prayed for us and it was awesome. You know, so that was really great, and we went to this uh, we went to this church in Miami where we heard more Spanish on Sunday morning than we heard English. We went down and we did worship, and I preached. And uh, just like to say, we blew that church apart last Sunday. <laughs> we kind of destroyed it. <laughs> I don't even know. I, in my entire life, I've never been to a church that got so crazy, ever, ever, or so fun. I've never had so much fun, especially away from home. I've never had that much fun away from home. But um, the most common words you heard in the van over the last couple of weeks is, I miss home, you know? As good as it was, like, there's no place like right here. There's no place like, uh, like Campbellsville. There's no place like the Vineyard, and there's no people like you people, and I love what God's doing here, you know? Like, as good as it is wherever else, it's like, ah, give me the Vineyard Campbellsville any day of the week. That's my heart anyway. Um, cool, everybody good? Baby dedication was good, huh? Dude, that was so incredible. Come on. Good deal. Cool, cool. Oh, happy Father's Day, Dad. <laughs> All right. Well, here's what I want to do today. I want to start a new, uh, I want to start a new series this morning. We're going to go five weeks on this. We're going to take a little break next week from it. We'll do something a little different next week. But in the house, we're going to have a five-week series, and we're going to be talking about what is the essence of the church. Uh, I'm going to talk four weeks on this, and even my lovely bride, Heather, is going to weigh in. So, um, we're going to be talking about the church, um, and we're going to really be talking about, hopefully, discovering, uh, you know, why the church, how the church, why the church is such a big deal. And uh, the reason we want to do that is because, especially like in, in, in culture, not just within here, it's even true within here at a certain level, but especially once we leave this room, within culture, when you begin to bring up the church, people get really nervous because 
the place that's supposed to be about healing and grace and deliverance and mercy in Jesus is usually the place where you get most whacked, most beat up. You wonder if there's any grace and you even after a while wonder if Jesus has ever stepped through the door, right? Maybe you guys have never went to church. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and not only that, but one of, the, one of the other things right along with that is, is that it's actually become quite popular to beat the church up. It's actually become quite fashionable to be someone who's cynical about the church and who loves to put in a dig any chance that we get about the church, you know? Uh, it, it's fashionable. It's not just fashionable, but, it, but it's quite easy to dig on the church. Um, but here's the irony in all of it. The irony is that, is that we fail to realize that when we leave the church in a powerful way, we've left Jesus. Because you can't divorce the church from Jesus. You know, it's become fashionable to say, you know, I really like Jesus, but I'm not too sure about the church. And, and the irony is you, you can't say yes to Jesus and no to church. It's an oxymoron. And the strange, things, the strange thing is, is that sentiment seems to grow by the hour. It's like a little bit of yeast in the, in the dough. It begins to just grow and grow. And there's a good reason that sentiment's grown, because um, right in the midst of, uh, of, you know, good coffee and casual atmosphere, even places like the vineyard, um, people have been snake bitten, you know, and we didn't even pull the snakes out of the boxes. Yeah, people, people are always like, man, you know, where's the, you know, where's the snakes at, you know? The, the truth is, this, the truth is the snakes are everywhere. They're right here in the room with us. And, and most of us in the room, even if you've been here, even if you've drank Justin's good coffee and you've enjoyed the relaxed and casual atmosphere, the chance is that a lot of us have been snake bitten at the church. And one of the real true tests of faith these days is to be the kind of person who says, no matter what, I'm going to stick with the church. You know? No matter what, I'm going to stick with the church. You know, and so we have a lot of reasons to leave. You know, um, sometimes, sometimes, and this is just sometimes, but it's still horrible. Sometimes pastors get caught with their pants down, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes deacons run off with the money. Sometimes we end up fighting over the color of the carpet. But more often than that, uh, five people will wrestle for one spot on the platform, right? Yeah. And more often than that, contingencies form. And more often than that, we end up wounding one another with our words. And division ends up catching like a cold. And then more often than that, like the gospel of the kingdom gets translated into bigger and better. You know? Like Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and we translated it into bigger and better. And what I mean by that is it's only the gospel of the kingdom if we're constantly moving to a bigger and bigger building. Really? One of the things I found about people is we don't like giving money to building projects. You know why? Because the gospel of the kingdom isn't always a bigger building with fancier outfits. The gospel of the kingdom is always about people. So a lot of times what we've done is we've changed it and we've made We've taken it away from people and we've made it about bigger and bigger buildings that we can get larger and larger crowds in. And a lot of times what we end up doing is we make our leaders celebrities. You know, there's celebrity gospel that goes around. But even more than that, we withhold honor from people who really deserve it in the church. You know? And so it becomes easy to get bitter about the church. It can make you downright disillusioned. And here's the real problem with all of it. 
right in the middle of all of our disillusionment, right in the middle of all of our heartache, right in the middle of all of our pain, right in the middle of the fact that dude sitting three rows behind me has said something really made me mad and I know I don't talk to him and I walk away from him. Right in the middle of all of that, there's Jesus and he really loves the church. Like as disillusioned as we are about the church, as much as sometimes we want to walk away from the church, Jesus' heart is that he loves the church. He says, the church is my bride. And as much as you love your husband or you love your wife or you're crazy about a girlfriend or there's that girl you wish would be your girlfriend, that's how crazy Jesus is for the church. Even the really disappointing, run off with all the money, build a bigger building and forget the people, Jesus is crazy for that church. That's the really crazy part of it all. Because it's his bride. You know, and the truth of the matter is, Augustine was right when he said, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. It's true. The church is a bit of a whore, but she's, she's our mother. Calvin said this, he says, if, uh, he says, God is my father, but the church is my mother. And that's the truth. And so we want to talk over the next couple of weeks about what is the essence of the church. And hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to study the scripture, and we're going to look and get a picture of the church. And I really feel like over the next four or five weeks, a lot of us are going to be able to have our hearts cleansed and uh, some pain healed. And we're going to be able to take a lot of our disillusionment, a lot of our pain, a lot of our bitterness, and a lot of our wounds. We're going to be able to take it and just lay it at the cross and let Jesus heal us and give us the same heart for the church that he has. Um, One of the things about the vineyard here is, is we don't do membership. Like, you know, who's a member of the vineyard? Well, we just, you just are or you're not, you know? You can kind of decide. Um, one of the things about it is we always kind of know when, when people are ours, you know? It's more relational. You don't, we don't need your letter. And some, the one time this church called and said, some, one of your people showed up. Can you send a letter over? And I'm like, we, Ray and I looked at each other like, uh, sure. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, we really don't do membership. You're just kind of either here or not, you know. Um, but one of the ways you know you're a member is when you've been hurt and you've chosen to forgive and stay anyway. What is church membership, at least around the vineyard? Get hurt, forgive the person, love them and stay. Then you know you're a member. When your love is bigger than your offenses, it's a sure sign you're in, you know. Well, if you want to, uh, we're going to look at a scripture this morning, and I just want to talk about um, what is the essence of the church, okay? Let's, let's read some scripture. It's out of Matthew chapter 16. This is the essence of the church. We'll start in verse 13. This is like the simplest prototype of the church, even though it, it's a passage that maybe throws us off a little bit. Verse 13 says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by a man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock, I'll build my church. You can underline that. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone 
that he was the Christ. <clears throat> the reason I wanted to turn this passage this morning is because this is the first place in the scripture where the word church appears. And there's this principle, at least in theology. You all have theology class for about 10 seconds here? There's this principle in theology, and it's the, called the principle of first mentions. So one of the ways that you understand something at least theologically or doctrinally or anything, when it comes to the scriptures, one of the best ways to get, a, to get a grasp on something is to go where it's first mentioned. Why? Here's why. Because oftentimes when you find something at the very beginning, you find it in its simplest form, right? And when you find something in its simplest form, you find the essence of it, and it doesn't have any of the, uh, any, any of the accoutrements. It hasn't been built upon. It hasn't been fancied up. It hasn't been changed. It hasn't been altered. It hasn't been complicated. And in that, in that first place, in that simple place, you can find, uh, you can find something uh, that you can get your head around. Uh, now, a good example of this would be airplanes. Uh, any of you guys ever uh, seen like the first airplane or maybe a documentary about the Wright brothers, right? Everyone in the room can tell that it's an airplane, right? It has the form. It has the wings. But what does that first Wright brothers airplane have to do with maybe the most modern jet that the united states air force is putting out it's radically different right but if you were going to start learning about airplanes you'd want to go to the very beginning otherwise what's going to happen you're going to get so confused with electrical systems and hydraulic pumps you're going to miss the major principles that keep the sucker in the air right it's the same thing with the church and that's the reason we wanted to start at this passage. It's important to go to first mentions because we can get the essence of something. I mean, at this point in the church, at least in modern day church, you know, it's so easy to get, um, it's so easy to get sidetracked by the programs, the lights, uh, the smoke machines, uh, the home groups, uh, the welcoming committees, uh, you know, the good coffee, the bad coffee. It's so, it, the accoutrements, the extras, the tacked on things, some of the things we need, some of them we don't. And in the process, we can get our hearts tied to things that aren't even a part of the original form that God really, really cares about. And so what I want to tell you this morning is that this is, this is, this is a passage, odd as it is, that has everything that the, first ch- that the church has in it. This is, the, this is the essence of the church. Before we get into that, uh, I do want to give you a little bit of background or a little framework here. Uh, so Jesus and the disciples are traveling, and it says that they're up in Caesarea Philippi. So if you, if you have any like geographic understanding of the region, like Jerusalem, Jerusalem is down here. Caesarea Philippi is like up here in the north. And when it's in, up in the north, what that essentially means is that Jesus and his twelve disciples—they're not in really Jewish territory anymore. They've they've charted off into into Gentile territory, and they're essentially on a road trip. They're on vacation because the crowds have been uh, pressing around them, and they're getting away for a few days. And I, one of the things I've noticed about this is that uh, it's typical. Like some things never change over 2,000 years. How many of you know that when you go on a trip with somebody, you really learn about them? So Jesus has taken the disciples out of town, and on this road trip, they get to really know who he is. Like, like I told you guys, I've already spent the last two weekends traveling 4,500 miles, and I've been locked in the car with some people, and being locked in the car with people causes you to know them at a deeper level, right? Like one of the things I've learned is that it doesn't matter what... When we're out, if there is a Krispy Kreme donut in a gas station, Kevin Durham will buy it. It, 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 doesn't, matter. Like if we, it doesn't matter that we've stopped for gas three times and he's already bought three. The four, if there's a Krispy Kreme kiosk, I noticed he's there. He had it in the car with him every time. On the way down, on the way home. Yeah. You, you just, it keeps you going. 
And I've noticed that with Sam Crabtree, I've noticed that Sam Crabtree can sleep on the floor of a 15-passenger van. It, it doesn't matter how much he has to contort. All I have to say, and all I have to say is everybody in the room needs to go on Facebook, and there's a little picture that's proof. I was going to put it up, but I thought, that may be too direct. Sam can sleep anywhere. And oddly enough, one of the things I've also realized is that, uh, you all may not know this, Glenn Yoder is incredibly patient and kind to 13-year-old boys who are annoying. Incredibly patient. We, we encountered this little 13-year-old boy, pretty annoying kid. Maybe the most annoying kid I've ever been around in my entire life. I was literally ready to smack him in front of his mother and father. I, was, I mean, I was, my patience was gone. Holy pants were off, gloves were out. And Glenn constantly came to him in, in gentleness and kindness and patience and mercy. And I was the one ready to throw him out of the car. When you go on a road trip, you find out things about yourself, too. I've also found out that, that Bobby Spangler, if he has a Red Bull in his hand and if there's Muse on the radio, that he could pretty much drive from Miami to Campbellsville by himself. You know? Yeah. Took a long trip with my wife, and I found out I just love her more. Is that good? Do you like that? <laughs> hey, it's not even in the notes, babe. I'm just crazy about you. Come on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in the scripture here, what we are is we've got, um, we've got Jesus on the road with his disciples. And he begins to ask them some questions. He says, hey, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they, they, they just answer. They say, well, maybe John the Baptist or maybe one of the prophets or maybe Jeremiah. And one of the things about this little list that other people have about Jesus is they're all the same. Everybody on the list is a prophet and everyone is dead, right? And the thing I'd like, to, I'd like to point out here is that this is the essence of the church. You get to know people. Jesus pulls out the question card. And one of the things we see here is we see the essence of the church beginning to take shape. Jesus says, who, who do other people say that I am? And they say, well, John the Baptist or maybe Elijah or maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And everyone in the world thinks that Jesus is a dead prophet. Sometimes... And one of the things we see right off the bat is that the world doesn't really know who Jesus is. They can be close, but not exactly know who he is. Like even now, Jesus, uh, for some people, is the good teacher, or Jesus is the guy with the best ethics. Jesus is morally superior. Jesus is a good leader. All of those things are somewhat true and somehow obviously miss the biggest point of who Jesus is, right? And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, well, hey, that's not really even the biggest question. He says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter, just right out of nowhere, he says, you know, you're the Christ, which is just another way of saying you're the Messiah, which is another way of saying you're the anointed one. You're the chosen one. You're the one who's been prophesied about from a long time. You're the guy we've been waiting for. You're the guy who's going to deliver Israel. And then he throws on this little addendum. You're the son of the living God. You know, it just puts it all right there in perspective and right into the moment. You're not like a son of a God somewhere. You are the son of the living God who is present and active and working in the world, even present and active in the moment. 
You're more than a prophet. You're more than a good teacher. You're more than morally excellent. You're more than a healer. You're, you're the anointed one, the son of the living God. And so there's a couple things right now uh, that we, I want to point out. Number one is that the church, the essence of the church is this. The church is, a, is the place for revelation. See, the world doesn't really know who Jesus is. They get close sometimes. They stumble upon smaller truths. That, that oftentimes they'll settle, sometimes the world will settle for a smaller truth uh, or trade a smaller truth in exclusion for the, the main truth. Son of God, anointed one, Messiah. But in the church, the church is the place for revelation, and the church is the place where the revelation of who Jesus is exists. The world likes to put labels on Jesus. But the church is the place where Jesus is known as Messiah. And here's the thing. Without this revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, it's not the church. Like, we can be together, we can hang out, we can have community. But without the the central revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, it isn't the church. Without the central revelation of Jesus as Messiah, we're probably just in a college philosophy philosophy, philosophy class debating ideas. The church is the place where Jesus has been revealed as Messiah. The essence of the church is is centered on this one revelation that Jesus is Messiah and then all other kinds of revelation flow out of this one. So not only is the church where not only is the church where Jesus is known for who he really is, but then beyond that, the church is the place where all kinds of things are known for the way they really are. So it works like this. When you begin to order your life around the central truths, somehow that makes room for the other truths. See, we're called to be the most, uh, we're called to be uh, light bearers. Uh, and, and what that means is uh, the world has questions. The church is called to have answers. Not, not just one answer. You know, like some people, some people need answers. Uh, some people need, uh, need all kinds of answers. And uh, answers that uh, at first don't even seem like they have much to do with Jesus as Christ, Son of the living God, and my Savior, and Lord of my life. But it always starts there. You know what I'm saying? And so what happens is when we begin to, when we begin to build our identities around this one central truth, uh, when we begin to build our identities around this one central revelation, there becomes room for other kinds of revelation. And there are all kinds of people in the world, and they need... They need revelation. They need light in their life. And the church is the place for it. All kinds of light. Like the smartest people should come from the church. Like the most artistic, brilliant risk takers should come from the church. Because we, because we have hold of the most true thing in the universe. All other truth can find its orbit around that one central truth. And so here's the deal. In the long run, uh, over generations... The church should be increasing in light. The church should be increasing in, in, in brilliance of all kind. And the church should be increasing in expression of all kind from this one central and main truth. But if we ever let go of the one central main truth, all of the other ones fall out of orbit. The one central main truth holds all other truth in orbit. Just like the sun holds the moon and the stars and the planets in space.
And here's what's really funny about this little moment here. So they're on road trip, and Jesus says, you know, who do people say I am? And then, who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. What's really crazy about this is that this is the first moment that the disciples really know who Jesus is, and they've been hanging out with him for a while. Not only that, but the disciples have been out doing power ministry. If you flip in your Bible back to Matthew chapter 10, they've been casting out devils, cleansing lepers, healing the sick, and preaching the kingdom. And this is before they know that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. What does that tell us about power ministry? Well, one of the things it tells us is this. Oftentimes in culture, we've done the equation like this. Knowledge equals power. I'm here to tell you, knowledge doesn't equal power. Connection to Jesus equals power. Like you can hang out with Jesus, not even have a total idea of who he is, and do the stuff. Not only that, but being able to do the stuff is one of the prerequisites oftentimes for leading you into the truth of who he truly is. Like, how can you know who Jesus really is until you've seen him move in his power? It's, it works both ways. A lot of times we think we have to get all of our belief right before we can really understand. No, it's not even that way. A lot of times we think, well, we can't, even, uh, we can't do any ministry until we know exactly who Jesus is. That's not the truth at all. Jesus says, have people come and follow me around. And just by being around me, they'll end up being like me and they'll end up doing what I do. You know, I had somebody get really angry with me one time because... There was somebody who was uh, not living a great life playing on a worship band. Didn't really even have the full knowledge of who Jesus was. And they were like, well, that's not fair. I'm like, it's not fair, except that's what Jesus does. He takes people out and he tells them, he sends them preaching into, king, into little villages and they don't even know who he is. They can't, they can't recite the sinner's prayer. They don't even know they need a sinner's prayer. And he says, I want you guys to go out and heal the sick, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and preach the gospel. And they don't even know the basic thing Son of God, Messiah. What does that tell us about power? It's, it's far less connected to knowledge, and it's way more connected to being around him, doing what he does, going where he says, and being obedient to him. Like, real power is always connected to just doing what Jesus says. Like, a lot of times we want to go out and be powerful. Like, that's the worst place to be in your mind. Like, this desire to want to go out and be powerful is the best way to go and smash your face on the bricks. Power and change for people's life. And if you want to be the kind of person who brings deliverance into a place, the way you do that is just becoming obsessed with Jesus. That's all. Just say, God, anything I want, anything you want from me, I will do it. You listen for his voice. He will send you on a mission. It will be crazy. It will be risky. He'll tell you to do things that don't make sense. And then in that place of just simply going and doing what he asks you to do, something amazing will happen. <clears throat> See, we think a lot of times we think power ministry comes from like grinding in prayer or being lucky or being fat or, or fasting more you know i want to tell you that grinding in prayer fasting and sometimes being lucky can enhance our ministries but the real thing comes from just being around him and listening for his voice to go and do what he says to do so the essence of the church number one is in revelation revelation of the son of god and then all kinds of other revelation come alongside and then number two the essence of the church is seen in the community that it creates see the context here is that the disciples were all together and they're following jesus around what is the church the church is where disciples get together and follow jesus around that's what the church is people getting together finding identity and following jesus around that's what the church is and uh 
it, the, the, uh, the identity of the church, the essence of the church is following Jesus around, uh, not just being an innocent bystander, but doing what he did and saying what he said. So the essence of the church is in the community it creates, uh, which, which is another way of saying this. It's impossible to be a church or to be a part of the church or even to be with Jesus and have a solo ministry. It's impossible to be uh, meaningfully connected to the Lord and increase in isolation in your life. Uh, the more isolated you become in your life, it's a sure sign that you've somehow left Jesus behind. Jesus, being connected to Jesus in a meaningful way always makes us more connected to the people that we're sitting next to right now. It always makes us more connected to the cultures that, we, that he's planted us in. Um, if you find yourself sitting at home more and more watching TV and uh, shopping off the Home Shopping Network and never really getting out of the bathrobe, it's a sure sign we've somehow missed Jesus somewhere along the way. Like if no one ever comes over to your house to hang out on your front porch, drink your Cokes, eat your cookies, and mess it up. We've missed it somewhere. You'll, you'll know that you're increasing in, in love and intimacy with Jesus when people are coming over to your house, messing it up, uh, and their kids are destroying your kid's room, and they're drinking all your Cokes, even your last one. When Richard comes over and drinks your last Coke, you'll know that you're increasing in devotion to Jesus. That's what I know, right? So taking a step with Jesus is always a step into community. All these, all these disciples, they were just like crazy fishermen until they met Jesus and then they found a new identity together with him. So number one, the church, the essence of the church is a place of revelation. Number two, the essence of the church is a place of community. And then number three, the essence of the church is structure and authority. We probably shudder at those words, don't we? Especially us Americans. The essence of the church is seen in structure and authority. And we have good reason to shudder at those words because so many of us have been wounded by structure and authority, right? The very thing that was, the very thing that, uh, that is in a meaningful way, the essence of the church, the very thing that was put in place to, to watch over and care for us has been the place where we've received our wounds. And because of that, we say, it's one of the main reasons that we say, Jesus, you're great but no to the church, right? But one of the things that I want us to see here is that we can't, we can't remove structure and authority from the church. Uh, one of the things I want to tell you is that in a very real way, uh, the most difficult things in my life have all, always been used to grow the greatest blessing. The most difficult things in my life have always been used by God to grow the greatest blessing. Um... I mean, how many people in here are married, right? How many of y'all know marriage is hard? How many of y'all know that marriage is a blessing? Like, I can honestly say, Heather and I have been married for 12 years. We love each other way more now than we did at the beginning. Marriage is hard. And in the difficulty of having to learn how to, to love her and care for her and watch out for her, I, we've created a relationship that, that is so much better than it was before, and it's actually become a huge blessing in my life. And this is one of the things that we see in the church. Church is a place where there's structure and there's authority. And, um, and it may be really difficult and it may be a place where we've been wounded. But it's also a place where there's the greatest opportunity for blessing. 
some of us think, well, you know, I trust Jesus as a leader, but I don't trust him and I don't trust her, you know? And the problem with that, uh, at least for us this morning, is that it's obvious from this passage that Jesus is beginning, Jesus is building from authority that starts with him and then he's beginning to put it on someone else. Did you guys notice that? So the essence of the church is a community where Jesus is the leader and no sooner than we see Jesus as a leader does Jesus look at Peter and say, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom and everything, the gates of hell aren't going to be able to stand up against it and everywhere you guys go, you're going to be able to reset the boundaries. And so what do we see? We see Jesus beginning to take his authority and then beginning to put it into other people for the good of lots of other people. This is the part in the passage where a lot of people, or at least Bible scholars, like to argue and fight because they get all upset about what does Jesus mean when he looks at Peter and says, on this rock I'm going to build my church. A couple things I'd like to say. Uh, Number one, there's a lot of different interpretations here, and uh, I believe all of them. So when... I do. I believe all of them. I... I had a bit of a revelation this week. Uh, I, I looked at all the possible interpretations for this passage, the ones that make people really upset and angry and want to hate the Catholics and whatever else. And you look at all of them, and they're all true because neither one of them, none of the interpretations step on the other interpretations. Do you understand? Was that it was a complicated way of saying something, but believing one doesn't take anything away from another. Does that make sense? So what are the interpretations? Well, number one, Jesus looks at, Peter and he says hey you've been called Simon but I'm calling you Peter and Peter means rock and Jesus says on this rock I'm going to build my church right and so what what is one of the possible interpretations well one is that Jesus is actually talking about Peter and he's saying Peter on 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 you on guys like you I'm going to build my church and I want to tell you it's absolutely true you can believe that and not instantly have to believe that you know Jesus that Peter's the first pope and even, big deal, like at the end of the day, big deal, right? Because here's what happens. I want you, just, we'll just walk through the scriptures. I see the glory of Jesus in this, and the glory of the Spirit so much in the scriptures here. Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, you didn't get that because you're smart, and you got it because my father just spoke to you. He says, you've been called Simon. I call you Peter. I say you're a rock, and on this rock, on you, I'm going to build my church. Then Acts chapter 2 happens. Peter stands up, he preaches a sermon, and the church gets absolutely full-born. I think in this moment right here in Matthew 16, it was, like, it was like the seminal moment. It was like when sperm touched egg. And I think, I think Peter became pregnant with something, and I think in Acts chapter 2, he began to give birth to it. And in Acts chapter 2, the church became born, and it became born in Gentile territory. And then just a few pages later in the book of Acts, who was it that took the church into Gentile territory? It was Peter. It's the goodness of God. Jesus is so honored. He looks at Peter and he says, you're the kind of person I can work with. I am going to build my church on you. For all of history and for all of time, people are going to look back and they're going to say, how did God birth the church? And they're going to say, Peter, that's how he did it. That's incredible. I love that. You know why I love that? Because it means that we get to do important stuff. That's why. Like, God is really serious about co-laboring. Then there's another interpretation. Some people are like, oh, that interpretation freaks me out. There's another interpretation. Other people like to say, well, what Jesus is saying here is that he's going to build his church on the rock that is the revelation that he is the Son of God. And I want to tell you, that's true. And you can hold them both together, and neither one takes away from the other. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, this is what Paul says. 
Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. There it is. Peter, you are the rock. The revelation is the rock. The foundation of the church is built upon apostles and prophets. And that's just another word. That's just another word for, for authority and structure. See, when we get together and we hang out and we read our Bibles at Starbucks and we drink coffee with our two best friends who think just like us, just because we read the Bible and just because we invoke the name of Jesus, it doesn't make it church. If there, if there, isn't, if there isn't somebody uh, in authority, if there isn't some structure, if there isn't somebody watch, watching over your soul, it might be a good time, but it isn't the church. It's a really big deal. Does that mean when we get together at Starbucks with our Bibles and our friends that it isn't church? Well, maybe. Or maybe it is. Or maybe it isn't. But here's what I do know. That every, every, every church has some sort of structure, has some sort of authority in it. And the, and the structure and the authority isn't meant to limit, and it isn't meant to beat us up, and it isn't meant to keep us down. It's meant to watch over us. Biblical authority is always about care. It's about watching over. It's about taking responsibility. And it's about seeing other people do well. It's always what it's about. And oftentimes, when we, what happens is this. Oftentimes, we say yes to Jesus, no to the church because of authority. And when we say no to Jesus because of authority, one of the things we've done is we've actually hampered him from being able to watch out and care for us. We've significantly damaged the Lord's ability to take care of us. So the essence of the church is revelation. The essence of the church is community. The essence of the church is structure and authority. And then also the essence of the church is this. It's a place where we can gain insight into our life purpose and destiny. This is one of my favorite parts about this passage. So they're traveling. Jesus asks a question. Uh, and then Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then Jesus, interestingly, turns around and says, Peter... You didn't get that because you're smart. You got that because my father revealed it to you. So I want you to see this. Peter, no, Peter says who Jesus really is, and it takes the father to reveal to Peter who Jesus is. It, this is isn't this crazy? Like He's been hanging out with Jesus. Hanging out with Jesus isn't enough. The father has to reveal to Peter who Jesus is. So the father reveals to Peter who Jesus is. Peter says it, and then what turns around happens? Jesus turns around, looks at Peter, and he begins to reveal to Peter who he is. And that's, that's exactly what's supposed to happen in the church. The Father tells people. He reveals his Son to people. And then in the community that surrounds that, there should be a voice that comes to people and then begins to speak identity and life purpose over them. See, Peter was just on a, on a two-year camping trip up to this point. It wasn't until Jesus looks at him and says, No, you're, you're not Simon. You're Peter, and you're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. It wasn't until that moment that Peter really knew what he was getting in for. And even then he didn't, but it was, a, it was a prophetic word. It was a prophetic word over his life. So the church is this. The church is a place where we get revelation, and then that revelation leads us into greater revelation. See, who I am is, direct, is directly connected to my ability to see Jesus. So you'll never, you'll never, ever really know who you are until you can really, really see Jesus until you can really, really see Jesus and in your heart um, catch the full big picture, the, the panoramic view of Jesus as the Son of God 
and he's the Messiah and that you need him. Until you get that, you, you'll never get connected to your life destiny and the main purpose for why you showed up on the planet. See, the church is the place where we get a picture of who Jesus is, but then the church is also the place where there's a voice that comes and speaks to us who we really are. Scripture says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. See, Jesus is the first big domino in the revelation stack that gets pushed over. When that one gets pushed over in your life, all these other ones begin to fall over. So the church is the, uh, the essence of the church is revelation. The essence of the church is community. The essence of the church is authority and structure. The essence of the church is identity and destiny. And then the essence of the church, finally, is, uh, is mission. See, I hope we see this, but the boys, they're out on mission. And the promise that uh, Jesus makes to, uh, makes to Peter is this. He says, he says, you didn't get this because you're smart. He says, you got this because my father revealed it to you. And he says to him, he says, and Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, we can't, we can't divorce the mission from the church. Just because people get together doesn't make it church. It's the mission that makes it church. We're here because of someone, but we're also here because this someone takes us on mission. Um, Jesus says to Peter, he says, uh, and the gates, of, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Uh, John Wimber used to say about this passage, how many of you have ever been chased down the street by a gate? Yeah, no one, right? Because why? Gates are stationary, right? Gates are stationary. Yeah, a lot of times on the mission, we have this, we have this assumption that like all of hell is chasing us. That's not really the way it works. Hell doesn't really chase us around that much. We've been called to go into hell. And this is the really great part. Jesus promises, he says, the gates of hell will not overcome it. And then he says, I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom. Now, why would Peter receive keys? To unlock gates. So you can't divorce, you can't divorce the mission from the church. If we ever lose mission, then we, then we, in a profound way, stop being the church. See, we're called to go and unlock the gates of hell. And gates essentially do one thing. Gates define boundaries, okay? So d- gates determine who's in and who's out, and they set up boundaries. And that's what, really what this, this really uh, cryptic saying that Jesus has going here in verse 19 is all about. You know, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And one of the things that Jesus is saying is, in my church, my church is going to be the place of my authority, so much so that I'm going to allow my church to define the boundaries of my goodness. I'm going to allow the church to be able to step into the gates of Hades, which is essentially the gates of death and hell, uh, all of Satan's power. I'm going to allow my church to have keys to redefine the boundaries. I'm going to allow my church to have the, the keys to go in and unlock gates so that people who are living in darkness and who are living in death come, can come, come into light and can come into life. Like, if we, ever get, if we ever get divorced from that, if it ever gets too cozy or too comfortable here, if it ever becomes too much of a party on the inside and we lose sight of the fact that behind the gates there are people who are locked in darkness, then we've profoundly stopped being the church. Like, you can't, you can't divorce mission from the church. Uh, I just read something incredible this week uh, about John Wimber in the early days of the vineyard. For those of you who don't know, John Wimber is the guy who founded the Vineyard Church, of which we're a part. He's dead now, but 
Uh, he was an incredible guy. And um, the stories go like this. Every time someone would come in with like a, a piece of paper about what it is to be a vineyard or what are the essential ingredients of a vineyard, John would just take the paper and he would rip it up in front of them. Because he was like, no, we're going to be much more free than that. But there were a couple things he was a stickler on. And a couple times uh, in the mid-90s, when postmodernism began to crash through America and especially through the church, um, some people came to John and they said, hey, you know, John, we need to, we need to quit calling uh, the church Vineyard Christian Fellowship. We need, to, we need to call ourselves Vineyard Community Church. And John was like, no, we will never be called community because fellowship is what we are. Because fellowship is community with a purpose. It's a, it's a, powerful, it's a, it's a powerful word. So you can't divorce the church from her mission. If you do, then we've somehow profoundly stopped being the church. See, the church isn't just a community where we hang out. The church isn't just a community where we come and get healed. But the church is a community where we're held together by the mission to bring heaven to earth and then redefine the boundaries. See, everyone in here is called to reset boundaries. So this morning, you, you may be hurt, and you may be disillusioned. You may be downright sick of the church. And if you are, I get it. I mean, I actually do get it. Um, the church in the United States is in some ways radically sick. But Jesus is crazy about it. And I'm also convinced of this. Jesus' mission in the earth is always going to come through the church. He's looking for people who will he's looking for people who will go back to the essence. People like us. So if you're on the ministry team this morning, I'd like you to come on up.